How do you see this old world? Oh, how do you soak it all in? Oh, where did you come from and why are you here? And what does it all really mean? Am I just here to make money? Or die in the vain quest for peace? How can I find out if there's truth in the world? Or shall I just live as I please? I've been told that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only life worth living here today. I've been told that Jesus is the truth that all the world needs to know. The one in whom consists all things is the one who loves me so. Follow your heart and your feelings is all my friends seem to believe. There has to be more than this earth has in store before this shall ceases to breathe. Could it be Christ is my Savior? He's proven himself in the past. By walking on water and raising the dead, ascending triumphant at last. Now I know that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only life worth living here today. Now I know that Jesus is the truth at all. We started looking at the temple last week, and we, we ended on this slide right here that you see before you. And this slide, it kind of shows us how at the beginning and the end of the story, what we see is that God made this place, this land of Eden, this land of delight. And within that, he placed a garden. This garden was like a paradise. And even in the very midst of all of that, he created this tree of life. And he asks us to choose life. We see that at the beginning of the story. We see that at the end of the story. And today, what we're going to start to do is, is look at the in-between time. Not so much what happened at the very beginning or at the end of history. But we're going to see, what about the in-between? Where does the temple come in? And what part does the temple play within the middle? So to more easily understand what the temple is all about we need to look at what I'm going to call the simple temple. That is the tabernacle itself. It's the easiest structure in which to understand what the temple was supposed to be and kind of how the divisions are supposed to be there. Uh, let me mention this before we get into uh, anything about the, the tabernacle just um, starting off, okay? The temple itself, whenever you look at it, there's actually more than one temple. And right here we see the tabernacle is what God originally um, instituted. Now, the tabernacle what God said is this is just this is a traveling tent. Everything was able to be packed up and moved to another location. When they started actually making the physical temple, uh, that happened during the reign of Solomon. And that was a bit more stationary. 
it wasn't going to be moving around. It was going to stay in one location. And then uh, later on, you know, we see other uh, temples and stuff that, that come in. But we're going to be looking at this first temple, the simplest structure in which God mentioned what was supposed to be part of the tabernacle. And let's, uh, let's begin by looking at this, this theme verse here. The theme verse for the sermon series is 1 Kings 8.27. Now this is when Solomon uh, dedicated the original uh, temple there. But he says, But will God dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. Now he's not specifically talking about the tabernacle, but he is talking about the temple that he just dedicated. He's dedicating it to God, but he asks this, this question, Will God really dwell on earth? Well, we actually kind of see that that's part of the reason for uh, why the tabernacle was even uh, made at the very beginning. We read in Exodus 25 verses 8 and 9 that the Lord said to Moses, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. See, that was part, at least, of what the tabernacle was supposed to be. It was a place where God was going to dwell among the Israelites. Now, part of this happened because, you know, they were afraid of him. Whenever they started to see him on the mountain, they said, Moses, you go up. We're, we're scared to death. You know, literally, that's kind of what they said. So then God kind of worked with them uh, among their fear. And he said, okay, let's set up this sanctuary and I'm going to dwell among you. I'm going to have my own tent among your tents. And that is how God was going to dwell. Now, what we find out is uh, it takes a, a lot of different chapters. We see in Exodus uh, 25, really kind of to the very end. Now, there's a little bit um, in there, but you know, in, in 25, there's, there's about five chapters right there. And then there's another five at the end of the book. And it gets into great details about what the tabernacle is all about. We're not going to go into all those details, but I would say it's a very interesting read for you. And you will notice a lot of language that goes back to kind of all of creation kind of the land of Eden if you will we're gonna notice kind of some of those parallels uh, even this morning but there's a lot uh, of time that the, the writer slows down and says okay this is what the tabernacle is about this is what this sanctuary is all about and how it needs to be made it was very important that they made it according to this pattern keep in mind this pattern that God gave them to make this this uh, this tabernacle because we're going to notice that pattern uh, in upcoming verses but once they make the tabernacle and they set everything up, this is what we read in the book of Exodus. Exodus 40, verses 33 through 35. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle, an altar, and put up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's what it looked like whenever God's glory entered in and filled this tabernacle. Now, if you keep in mind, you know, about this cloud and, and all this language that's being described, that's how God was revealing himself uh, throughout the Exodus story. So it's very important that, that this image that's connected with God, it dwells within the temple and we see the glory of the Lord itself. It filled this, this tabernacle right here, this movable temple. And this was supposed to be right in the midst of their camp. We kind of see right here sort of a, a little bit of an artistic portrayal of, of kind of what it would look like. You know, all the, the Israelites would have their, their tents surrounding this, this tabernacle. And really, it would have been a, a really big um, thing to, to see all of these 
uh, you know, these thousands and thousands of, of tents and thousands and thousands of people surrounding this tabernacle because the tabernacle was supposed to be right in the midst of all of the people. And as we look at the tabernacle and see kind of the divisions that it's made up of, you'll kind of notice that there are three different divisions to it. Here, if you were to look at it from kind of a bird's eye view, you know, very top down uh, looking at it, what you'd see is there's this outer courtyard and uh, that's where a few things are, are located. And then you have the, the tabernacle, the part that's actually covered, the part that looks like a tent from the outside. And um, that would be, that would have the holy place. And then specifically part of that was, was set apart as the most holy place. So you see all of those things. And what I want you to notice about this division, go back to that you know, original slide that we kind of started this lesson off with. And do you remember the original creation? You see the original creation had this thing that, that God created um, the, the whole land, the whole land of delight. Within that land of delight, that land of Eden, he created uh, the garden. Within that garden, he had this life at the very center. And we kind of see both things uh, being paralleled. And the tabernacle is reflecting all of creation and is reflecting what God made whenever he made that garden and all. Because you have, of course, kind of the big structure, the courtyard for the tabernacle, but then that's where the garden, I'm sorry, that's where the land of Eden is. So that's the entire place, not just the, the specific um, smaller location of the garden and the smaller location of the actual tent part of the tabernacle. Then as you move in, a little bit closer to the presence of God and, and closer to life itself. You move into the holy place of the tabernacle and you move into what is called the Garden of Eden. That would be the land of paradise. Then you have one more step just a little bit closer. You get to the tree of life. That was in the middle of the garden. And whenever you look at the tabernacle itself, you have the courtyard, then you have uh, the holy place, then you have the most holy place. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that's where kind of life itself was located. So you see this connection here. You see how the, the tabernacle is supposed to reflect all of creation. And you see that within some of the artwork as well uh, that is mentioned there. Because you see that pictures of cherubim are supposed to be in this tabernacle. And we see that even um, over the top of this, this Ark of the Covenant, we see that uh, the cherubim are supposed to be up above that. And there were cherubim in the garden. We also find out like the lampstand that's being described, part of one of those images, uh, one of those things that is made in uh, the tabernacle. We see that that's described in terms it's like a tree. So you see so many things about the Garden of Eden and specifically that, that tree of life in the very center. You see a lot of parallels that are carried over into the tabernacle because the tabernacle is supposed to remind them of that better time, that time whenever they could be with God in the garden. Because keep in mind that when the tabernacle came, everybody had already been kicked out of the garden. We read that in Genesis chapter 3. You remember that the Lord God, he banished mankind from the garden. And whenever he banished them, we also see some of these other things about the cherubim and this flaming sword and, and, and all these images right there. But in Genesis 3, they are kicked out of this garden. They can't have that same relationship with God. So from that time on, what we see within the scriptures is mankind is trying to mend that relationship, trying to be able to get back to God. And whenever God actually mends that relationship, he does make ways for them to be able to approach him. And most of the time, this deals with some type of temple. And in this case, the simple temple, the tabernacle itself. 
It's a way to be able to get back into the presence of God and to be able to be in good favor uh, with God. When we turn to the pages of the New Testament, a lot of these things become even more clear. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 8. In Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5, talking about the tabernacle itself, we see they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. You find out that the tabernacle itself, we're told it is a copy, it's a shadow of what is in heaven, which by the way, I think that's why the original like Garden of Eden and everything, I think that's why you see these parallels. It's not so much that that these temples and this tabernacle is supposed to be a, a copy of the, the Garden of Eden, but rather it's a copy of heaven itself. And all of creation was supposed to be kind of this, this copy of what we see in heaven. And I also don't think it's by accident that we have within the Lord's Prayer, what's called the Lord's Prayer, you know, um, about your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, this, this longing for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think it stems back all the way into the beginning of creation. Really, if you want to get even more technical than that, it seems to, to go back even before creation. We see that all of this is part of the tabernacle. And all of this is, is part of what God was wanting with his people, to be able to be there in their midst and them to be with him. That's what God has desired since before the beginning of time. But he set up this tabernacle according to this pattern that is supposed to reflect heaven itself. And that's exactly what the tabernacle served as. It served as a copy of heaven, a reminder of, of being able to be in God's presence and God to be able to be in the midst of his people. But there's still more in the book of Hebrews that I think is, is very helpful to us. If we turn on over to the next chapter, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 5 now, we see that there's a little bit of an overview of what the, the tabernacle is kind of supposed to be. And let's take a look just briefly at some of these, these images that are being described. Keep in mind, you can go back to the book of Exodus and you can read in detail about all of them. But this is an overview. Hebrews 9, 1 through 5. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. I love that uh, verse 5, you know, he, he's writing about these things and he goes into a bit of detail, but then he says, but we can't discuss these things in detail right now. You can go back and you can read Exodus and you can find out great, great detail about how all of these things, you know, you can find out about that pattern that they were given, how they were supposed to construct that. But we see this, this quick overview and all of these things. I love how each one of the elements that are contained within this tabernacle, they all point towards something about Jesus Christ and how he brings us in and how we can be a part of the, the children of God and how we can be a part of what God is doing even in our midst. So let's briefly kind of go through uh, some of these elements that, that the Hebrew writer does in chapter 9. So as you look at these different elements, okay, there's three different divisions that it's divided up into. The first one, of course, is that courtyard. And within the courtyard, what we see are a couple of items. 
One of them is the altar for which all these sacrifices were, were offered on. Then we also see what uh, what I'm going to refer to as a wash basin. Some of these words might go by by different uh, different titles depending on what translation it is. But this wash basin was designed as uh, a place before you know as you're in the courtyard and before you enter into the holy place, you had to wash. You know you you had to to cleanse yourself, and that's what that was supposed to be. So you're entering into this this sacred space and and where it's even more holy, and you need to prepare yourself. I think there's a lesson for us to learn too whenever we think about. Uh, being in the presence of God today. You know, we have it in many ways much easier to go into the presence of God, but really we still need to take it very serious, don't we? So in the courtyard, you find these two images or these two elements, I'm sorry. Then you get into the holy place after you enter through that first veil. And within the holy place, you see a few elements there. We see the, the table of bread, and that table of bread it has to do with the presence of God. And we also see that uh, on, the, on the left side, as you were entering, you would see that lampstand. That lampstand has so many elements that are like a tree. And it, I can't help but think that there's, there's supposed to be that reminder of the tree of life, that you're in the presence of God. That's what this is all about. And then we see also the altar of incense was in this location. This altar of incense is connected uh, several times throughout the scriptures, you know, incense being combined with our prayers. And it kind of makes sense because, you know, whenever we pray, we, we don't really see our prayers rising up or anything. But actually, whenever you burn incense, you start to see that, that, it, that it rises up. And it's kind of like this, this idea, this, this symbol about how our prayers are also offered up to God and that they, they rise up and God most certainly hears our prayers. So those are some of the elements that you see in the holy place. Then you get into the most holy place, which has something very important within it. And that is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is described in a couple different ways. You know, you, you see that at the top of it, there's this mercy seat. It, it can be described kind of in terms as like it's the throne of God. Or you might look at it as it's kind of the footstool of, of God's throne, so to speak. Whatever the case, it's kind of how God was going to reveal himself uh, within this location of this most holy place. So now you can maybe start to understand why the tabernacle was so important and why these elements are all so important as well. But you know, they carry over and Jesus Christ did something great with these elements, at least the, the symbols behind these elements. Go back to the book of Hebrews and let's look there. In Hebrews chapter nine, verses six through 10, notice that it describes that the tabernacle was an illustration for the present time. The time whenever Jesus has already done these things that, that he was going to do on the cross. Because that's the time that the Hebrew writer is talking about. Verses 6 through 10, this is what we read. When everything had been arranged like this, like all that has just been described and all that we just looked at, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people, uh, for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration of the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Well, guess what? Now we live in that time whenever this illustration, we see the, the reality of it. We see what Jesus Christ did. 
we see that Jesus Christ had his own way of, of being able to fulfill what the tabernacle was pointing toward. The tabernacle was a reminder. It was a reminder that, that there was a time whenever humanity was right there in the presence of God. And it was also a way to, once again, be in the presence of God. But it was also a reminder that there's going to be something that the Lord does in the future in which we as humans are going to be able to be in the presence of God. And we see that that time was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. We see that when Jesus was here on this earth, he gave us a way to enter into the direct presence of God. This is something that for the Jewish people, you know, would have been just such a wonderful thing to, to try to imagine. And Jesus Christ makes it a reality for us as Christians. And if we keep reading in Hebrews 9, verses 10 and 12, listen to this. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. What we see from these verses is that Christ entered into not just that copy of the Garden of Eden, not just the copy of, of the tabernacle, not just the copy of heaven, but what Jesus Christ entered into was into heaven itself. And he offered a sacrifice that was a better sacrifice. All of these things are explained in great detail in the book of Hebrews, which, by the way, I love that book. But, but this we see about how Christ came and how he brought this sacrifice. He gave his own body as that sacrifice for us. He entered in with his own blood. And through this blood of Jesus, he obtained eternal redemption. And it's through that blood of Jesus that we can, that we can be washed clean with him. It, that's why we are that's why we submit to baptism and that's why we follow Jesus Christ with this new life that we've been given is because we that's that's how we take part in the sacrifice that's how we follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and accept what he's done on our behalf accept this offering that he freely gave to us and whenever we follow him what we find is this eternal redemption these wonderful things that Jesus Christ has done for us. He did this for us. He allowed us to be able to have this life. He allowed us to be able to have redemption. He allowed us to be able to enter into the presence of God. That's what the temple was pointing toward all along. And Jesus Christ, with his life, with his sacrifice, with His this gift that he gave us, he made a way. That's reason to praise him. That's reason to tell other people that's what we call the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Let's make sure that we follow him and learn what this eternal redemption is all about. I believe it's something that we can look forward to in the future, but I believe it's also something that we can experience right here and right now and that we can help other people experience as well. Help me, dear Lord, as I journey below, more of thy wisdom and sweetness to know. Help me to draw closer to Thee. Closer, dear Lord. Closer, dear Lord. Closer, dear Lord, to Thee. Help me to live